tonight for our text from the book of Romans, chapter 5, looking at verses 8 through 11, Romans 5, beginning at the 8th verse. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. May we have a special appreciation tonight for the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. In his first 11 chapters uh, to the Romans, Paul really provides his most comprehensive, his most, most we could say, in-depth explanation of God's plan of salvation for the world. In fact, some have even called this particular letter the gospel according to Paul. In fact, Paul takes a very possessive and personal approach in writing to the group at Rome. Two examples stand out in the second chapter and in the 16th chapter of this epistle. Looking at Romans chapter 2, verse 16, Paul is speaking of a judgment yet future. He says, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, and he says, according to my gospel, in verse six, or excuse me, chapter 16, verse 25, we find very similar language that the Apostle Paul uses. He says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I think what Paul is saying here, he's taking very seriously the call or the commission or the commandment that he's been given to pass down the gospel of Jesus Christ perfectly, just as the Lord would have him to do it. He wanted to get it right. He knew it was a way of deliverance, a way of forgiveness, and he could say, my gospel, because he, is, he had experienced it himself. He had experienced what it was to have victory, purity, life in Jesus Christ, so much that he could say, according to my gospel. And we want to as well, as a generation, I believe, as a church, as a body of believers, when we have experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ, deliverance, forgiveness from sins, uh, justification by faith, cleansing in the power of the blood of Jesus, a gospel that we have experienced, we want to say it's my gospel as well, because we've experienced it. Now, the first three chapters, most of the first three chapters of this particular letter, he is explaining to them that the entire human race is in big trouble. We're all guilty. In fact, in chapter 3, looking at verse 10, he says, as it is written, he's likely re referring to Psalm 14, he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all, they are together become unprofitable. That means to, to render useless. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
And if you read this, it seems hopeless. It seems that we're all helpless in our state, all of humanity. There's obviously a big problem, a big dilemma. And this is where Paul introduces the solution. Chapters 3 through 5, justification by faith. The remission of our sins that are past. Victory in Jesus. He's saying we have hope. We have help. The problem has been solved. And we can see that he teaches us that the atonement has been made. Now reading from our text in verse 8, again in Romans chapter 5, he says, but God commendeth which means he introduces or set together his love toward us in that while we were while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So relative to who God is, relative to the justice and we could say the perfectness of God, we were all spiritually bankrupt. In the midst of all this, Christ died for us. Atonement was made. The price was paid. The sacrifice took place. In verse 9, he says, much more than being now justified. That means to be made innocent or free. He says, by his blood, we shall be saved. That means delivered or protected from wrath through him, through Jesus. And really, verse 10 He's doubling down on what he says in verse 9. He says, for if, when we were enemies, and if you look at the original, it means when we were hateful, hostile, an adversary to God and to the people of God. We were reconciled, which means we were changed in Jesus to God by the death of of his son. Much more being reconciled again or changed, we shall be saved by his life, the life of Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, he says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We know this this English word for atonement, it means restoration or being restored, favor with God. It means reconciliation. It means that an exchange was made, a transaction was made, a price was paid. And we know and we've experienced and we've learned that it's accomplished by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the atoning blood of Jesus. I think we've all been made aware lately of the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar. Or I guess the lack thereof. In 1913, two days before Christmas, the Federal Reserve Act created what we call today the Fed or the Central Bank. And it gave uh, this the authority for the Fed to manage the money supply in the United States. And approximately three years earlier, there was this infamous secret meeting by six men representing the most financial, uh, most powerful financial organizations and families in the world, and they they met at a place called Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia. And if I understand correctly, we actually didn't know very much about this meeting until maybe 20 years later, the 1930s. And this group laid the foundation for our current banking system, what we know to be the Fed, the U.S. dollar. It's a privately owned central bank to manage our banking system. And so I, I wondered, well, how have they done How's the purchasing power of the dollar? Well, if I understand correctly, today's dollar would be worth worth less than four cents back in 1913. Therefore, in 1913, uh, 
$1 is equivalent to the purchasing power of $29.88. So that's a cumulative price increase of almost 2,900%. So the dollar has lost effectively 96% of its purchasing power since 1913. In fact, since 1950, it's lost about 90% of its purchasing power alone. So I wondered, well, how many dollars are in circulation today anyway? And if I understand correctly, the, the Federal Reserve note that was introduced in 1913, today there are close to $2.3 trillion in circulation. And it's hard to comprehend, but just three years ago, there was about $1.76 trillion in circulation. So in three years, 40% of all dollars that were ever printed were printed. So it's no wonder the purchasing power of a dollar has plummeted. And this is considered to be the reserve for the world. In fact, the world puts their hope in this. What do we know about the purchasing power there is in the blood of Christ Jesus? The power to buy back, we might say. The power to forgive. The, the power to cleanse. We have experienced that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for all of humanity. No matter how many human beings walk on the face of this earth, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was perfect. It was sufficient. The atoning blood of Christ paid it all. In fact, before the sacrifice of Christ, they would look forward, we might say on the calendar. We look back to the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul, in chapter 20 of Acts to the Apostles, he was speaking to the elders and leaders at Ephesus. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's what it took, the blood of Christ. He purchased it with his own blood, the perfect purchasing power that there is in the blood of Jesus. It cannot be touched by a changing world. We look around and we might say, well, the world seems darker. Well, not much has changed if we look back through history. Humanity goes down this path where destruction comes, but the blood of Jesus avails. The atonement is available tonight. In fact, John the Revelator wrote that the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Outside the bounds of time, we might say, Christ was slain for the atonement of all sin. It's sufficient tonight. If we look again at this word atonement, it's actually found exactly in 70 times, excuse me, in 70 verses throughout Scripture. There are a handful of times where it's more than one time in that verse. And we see what it means in the New Testament. But if we look at the original Old Testament Hebrew, it means to cover. It means to cancel, to pardon, to disannul, to be merciful. It means to forgive, to reconcile. And then it goes deeper. It means to cleanse. It means to purge. In the land of Israel, there was a, a day called the Day of Atonement. And uh, you might hear it called Yom, which in the Hebrew means day. 
Kippur, which means atonement, and it was the most holy and most sacred day on their calendar. There was no more holy or sacred day than the day of atonement, and it was once a year where the high priest could enter into the holy of holies. And we know that the clear instructions were given. The high priest was to take off his colorful garments, and he was to put on all white. We find in Leviticus, uh, the Leviticus chapter 16. If I understood, uh, understand correctly, even the people themselves would dress in white and they would be outside the tabernacle and they would be looking on in anticipation as the high priest in his white garments would take very specific steps to approach God. And so in the scripture from the Feast of Trumpets to the Day of Atonement, there were 10 days of national repentance. The people would go through a phase where they were preparing their hearts to approach the Lord. In Leviticus 23, 32, it's put this way. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest and ye shall afflict your souls, which means to depress. I think that might today to us means they would do some soul searching. In the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto even shall celebrate, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath, referring to that specific one day. And so the high priest, as he had these white robes on, he would take two goats into the tabernacle and lots would be cast. We know what happened to Jesus. One goat would be the scapegoat. Another goat would be for the sacrifice. Then the high priest would bring a bullock or a young bull into the tabernacle and he would sacrifice that for the sins of himself and his household. The blood would be taken into the Holy of Holies, sprinkled seven times on the Ark of the Covenant or we could say the mercy seat. Then the high priest would go back and the goat that was not the scapegoat, the other goat, that would be sacrificed and that blood would be taken again into the Holy of, Holy of Holies, sprinkled before the Lord seven times for the sins of all the congregation and the people. And then if I understand correctly, the blood of the goat and the blood of the bull would take, be taken and sprinkled on the horns of the altar. You see, they had to make atonement for the high priest, atonement for his household, atonement for all of the people. The scripture even says that they had to make atonement for the tabernacle, for the altar, for all that was therein. Well, you know, the writer of Hebrews knew who he was writing to when he said, for we have such an high priest became us who is holy, speaking of Jesus, harmless. He was perfect, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the peoples. For this he did once. Jesus Christ did it once when he offered up himself. It was finished, he said on the cross, according to John 19.30. The atonement had been made. It had been accomplished. The atoning blood of Jesus had been made available. Jesus knew it all and saw it all on Calvary. Your sins and my sins, the sins of the world. And there's more to come. Most Bible scholars believe that these fall feasts, trumpets, atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacle will all culminate when Jesus returns. The second advent of Christ when he comes back. In fact, John the Revelator saw it this way, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Notice the horse is white, and in righteousness he doth mud, dodge, and make war. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
Verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, which at which he should smite the nations. This is a day we look forward to. This is a day that we can partake in. We can have the white robes on, be with the horses as Jesus comes back at his revelation, likely on the day of atonement for the Jewish people. In fact, Zechariah wrote, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Speaking of the Jews, looking at Jesus when he comes back, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. The difference is we want to look on Jesus now. We want to have forgiveness of sins now. We want to take advantage of the atonement now. We want to receive justification now. We want to be forgiven now. We live in the day in the dispensation of grace, forgiveness, of restoration. We don't want to be a part of that dispensation of judgment and of Christ coming back to judge the world. We want to be on the right side of history. We want to be saved now. Jesus saves. The atoning blood of Jesus is available. The price has been paid Christ is speaking to your heart because he paid the price. On that day of atonement, it was the only day that the high priest could utter the unmentionable name of God. They weren't allowed to utter it on any other day but that day. Well, God, he has opened up the way. And as I've thought about how sacred that day was for them, it was the most important day. You know, the most important day in my life is the day Jesus saved me. And it should be in yours as well. You see, we want to point back to a day, a time and a place. And we might not remember exactly what day it was, but we need to know there was a day where the Lord came down and forgave us, where we were washed in the blood of Jesus, where we experienced the sufficiency in the atoning blood of Christ Jesus. You know, the atonement also made possible for our sanctification. There was that scapegoat that was taken outside the camp and let go. Christ suffered without the gate. He died alone. His father forsook him. That scapegoat was let loose to die on its own. Christ fulfilled it all. You need to be sanctified. You need to be cleansed. You need to be made holy. The atoning blood tonight is available that you can be healed. If you go by way of God's instructions to be anointed with oil in the name of the Lord, the oil doesn't do the work. The Preachers that pray don't do the work. Obedience and God does the work. And we want to be obedient to the Lord. The atoning blood of Christ is available tonight. Take advantage tonight. We believe the Lord is calling. If you're not saved, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He was terribly tortured that you could come to an altar of prayer, ask for forgiveness, say that I'm sorry. You could make it right between you and your creator. And you want to make things right between you and fellow man as well, because we all want to be in heaven together one day. We have a hope we can make it. The song is 566. Come take advantage of the atoning blood of Christ.